Support comes from Pacific Science Center, celebrating spring at Paxi with butterflies at the Tropical Butterfly House, sea creatures in the saltwater tide pool, and Jane Goodall, reasons for hope at the IMAX Theater, a journey around the globe to share good news stories. Learn more at PaxSci.org. Support comes from the Discovery Inn on Washington's San Juan Island, an island getaway that's a ferry ride away, now taking reservations for summer and fall. More information and booking available at discoveryinn.com. Hey, good morning. It's Patricia Murphy. It's Tuesday. This is Seattle Now. Light rail riders, check your station. Sound Transit will be making repairs over the next few weeks. Time it wrong on a weekday, you could be waiting more than 20 minutes for a train. On weekends, train service through downtown will stop entirely. It's the third time in a year downtown stations have been disrupted by maintenance. In a minute, Seattle Times Transit reporter Mike Lindblom will tell us what's going on. But first, let's get you caught up. All eyes are on Boeing following a terrifying mid-air blowout and the discovery of loose bolts on 737 MAX 9 aircraft. On Friday, the Federal Aviation Administration hinted it may increase oversight of the company. On Monday, Boeing announced steps to increase its quality assurance practices. Seattle Times reports Boeing will invite additional independent inspectors into its factories, including major 737 supplier Spirit Aerosystems in Kansas. The 737 MAX remains grounded while the National Transportation Safety Board investigates how a fuselage door plug blew out at 16,000 feet. State Attorney General Bob Ferguson sued to block Kroger and Albertsons from merging. The $24.6 billion deal would unite the two largest supermarket chains in the U.S. The lawsuit filed in King County Court says it doesn't do enough to protect workers and would create a near monopoly in Washington. Kroger owns Fred Meyer and Albertsons owns Safeway. Government regulators have similar concerns. The retailers hope an offer to sell up to 650 stores to CNN wholesale grocers will ease regulators' fears over competition. Ferguson, who's running for governor, says it wouldn't change much here in Washington. And the worst of that cold snap is over. It'll stay cold, though not bitterly so, for the next couple of days. Prepare for a wintry mix of snow and freezing rain for the evening commute around the Seattle area. The National Weather Service says temperatures should return to the mid-40s by Thursday, which is normal for this time of year. Good thing, too, there were pipes bursting all over this town. Seattle Fire Department said Monday it had responded to more than 150 water leaks since Friday. It's happening again. Some repairs need to be made in the downtown light rail tunnel, which means Seattle's daily commute just got a lot more complicated. It's the third time in a year that the downtown area light rail stations have needed repairs, and it won't be the last time service delays are on the menu. The repairs are running until early February, so you're going to need some extra help timing out your trips. Seattle Times transportation reporter Mike Lindblom is here with some tips on how to not get caught waiting. Mike, thanks a lot for joining us. Hi, Patricia. Mike, let's talk about what's going on with these delays. What should people expect as they're trying to commute to work on weekdays? The basic change is going to be that the trains go through downtown only once every 26 minutes. That's less than half the normal train frequency of every 10 minutes. And it means not only that people will wait longer, 
in those areas. But the trains will also be more crowded unless thousands of people avoid the line altogether. Oh my gosh, I can't imagine how packed those trains are going to be because honestly, at the end of the day, they're packed already. With five stations shutting down on weekends entirely, what are the alternatives to getting around at this point? The alternatives are mostly buses. There are 15 bus routes that overlap with some part of the downtown tunnel. I personally, if I absolutely had to go, you could hop out at Capitol Hill Station if you're in North Downtown and just walk toward the Westlake area. Capitol Hill Station, by the way, is going to be the most confusing and kind of the epicenter of confusion for people because during the week, the service is going to be every 13 minutes or so between Northgate and University of Washington next to the UW Medical Center. But then the 26-minute interval starts south of UW. So between UW and Capitol Hill is going to only be once every 26 minutes. Then on the weekend, you're going to have 15-minute train frequency from Northgate to Capitol Hill, which is not that much different from normal. But then it shuts down entirely at Capitol Hill. And you would have to take some kind of a shuttle bus or walk or look up a different metro route in order to continue toward Pioneer Square stadiums or the airport. Wow. You know, that sounds like light rail riders are going to have to do an awful lot of research before they attempt to go anywhere in any kind of timely manner, Mike. It's a huge adjustment. Right. Sound Transit does have a pretty comprehensive web page that includes diagrams and schedules. To get the entire schedule, you have to click through a couple times and search around for it. If you work hard enough at it, you can find the schedule that shows you when every single train run is supposed to go. However, I will say that in the past, a lot of times they've missed these by a few minutes. It's very hard to synchronize everything, especially when you've had several mechanical failures as well as vehicle crashes and other blockages. These schedules are not 100% reliable, but using them is probably a better move than just winging it and then having to hang around for 20 or 25 minutes for a train. Yeah, you know, it's cold out there and it's going to be cold for the next week or so at least, Mike. And, you know, (laughs) it seems like you show up to light rail stations anyway and you have to be prepared to do different stuff. And now it's just going to be real different for the next three weeks. As we mentioned, it's the third time in a year that these downtown stations have needed serious maintenance. Is this the new normal for us? Should we just expect delays every few months from Sound Transit? There are definitely going to be future events like this, not necessarily to replace these rails on a curve. They did last 14 years. But downtown, they're trying to get a lot of work done before the Bellevue line is connected and the Linwood line opens this fall. Because, you know, once the line extends another 15 to 20 miles, the stakes of having some kind of a failure or maintenance breakdown become worse. So you're kind of drinking your medicine now instead of late 24 or or beyond. There is well over $200 million worth of other renovation work that needs to happen in that tunnel. There is also more likely than not going to be some kind of disruption when the I-90 project is is finally finished. There'll probably be some kind of transition closure when that line is finally done and ready to connect Bellevue to Seattle in, you know, a year or two. So a lot of work has to happen there. 
And the system is starting to reach middle and advanced middle age now uh, after 14, 15 years. So it sounds like it's almost to be expected. I'm curious, though, because Sound Transit is trying really hard to bring ridership back and have people pay more consistently for the service that they're offering, plus expand service. Is this repeated maintenance disruption that riders are experiencing undermining Sound Transit's attempts to bring more riders into the light rail system? It probably is, although measuring it hasn't really been accomplished, and I'm not sure it's even possible to know how many hundreds or thousands would take light rail if there weren't disruptions. We'll make a a few observations about it, though. One of them is that ridership is up to 80,000, which is where it was pre-pandemic, and riders have shown a sort of propensity to forgive and return to the system whenever Sound Transit gets a a good run of reliable service. You know, like you've been talking about. It's no secret the stations need maintenance often. Broken elevators and escalators, departure signs that don't work or are inaccurate. Is Sound Transit working on tweaks that can make this experience better for riders? The most visible improvement they're trying for is uh, escalator and elevator replacement. It'll probably take all of the 2020s to get it done, but the first set of new escalators is supposed to arrive at Chinatown International District this year, then they will, you know, they'll just move on to other other stations after that. I just want them to work. I don't even care if they're new, Mike. I just want them to work. All right. Well, these disruptions started Saturday, Mike, so some people have probably already been caught off guard. How should people prepare between now and when this wraps up on February 5th? Everybody's story is going to be a little bit different. Capitol Hill folks are going to have to uh, work the hardest at understanding their detours. Probably the toughest, maybe the the toughest situation is if you live in SeaTac or Rainier Valley and work at University of Washington, because you're going to be, at best, you have 26-minute train frequency weekdays, and you may have clumps of people getting in and, and packing the train at Soto or something, or more likely at Capitol Hill on the way back south. There are rapid ride buses that go up and down 3rd Avenue. Some people will be able to take those part of the way. Chances are a good share, maybe even half of the white collar workers on these trains are just going to work from home. What we saw before is is big crowds the first days of of these kinds of maintenance projects. And then a lot of people just just work from home. Uh, It is, by the way, a a relatively low travel time of the year, late January. And we do not have uh, any pro football teams in the playoffs this year, actually. Right, right. So not necessarily the most popular time to be on the light rail, Mike. And I'm sure the cold, like you said, will keep anybody who doesn't have to go maybe working remotely if they still can. Either way, hopefully everybody will be patient and kind through these next few weeks. Mike Lindblom covers transit for the Seattle Times. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Patricia. Happy travels. We did some of the heavy lifting for you here. There's a link to the Sound Transit site in the show notes if you want to do some planning for your commute. Thanks for listening to Seattle Now. And extra thanks to the generous listeners who financially support this show through KUOW. Today's episode was produced by Vaughn Jones. Our production team also includes Caroline Chamberlain Gomez, 
Jenny Cecil Moore, and Claire McGrain. Matt Jorgensen does our theme music. Seattle Now and KUOW Public Radio are members of the NPR Network. It's an independent coalition of public media podcasters. You can find more shows in the network wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Patricia Murphy. See you tomorrow. Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. A story of moral panic, grassroots activism, and an unstoppable music community that fought for its freedom. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network.